This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. Can you believe tomorrow is February? We just had New Year and here we are for February. But that means I have to do really, really well today because this is the last opportunity of January 2020 to speak to all of you. I would love your live calls. Hey, I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is the word to stand on for life a radio program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering Bible questions or life questions, anything and everything that's on your heart. Maybe you, uh, well, why do we believe what we believe? Whatever it is, I'll do the best that I can to answer. All you have to do is call. 340-9585 is our primary number. That's 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR, numerically at 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. If you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. You sit the call now banner at the top of the screen, and you will be connected directly to our studio producer. 340-9585 is our primary number. Hope you're planning on a great weekend. Um, Friday's always great programs for me. I know we're going to have Bible study tonight. I'm going to be doing First uh, Peter chapter 2, the first five verses tonight in chapter 2. Um, and I'm still in Luke chapter 23 on Sunday where Jesus is um, being crucified for your sins and mine. I'm going to spend a lot of time uh, this Sunday on um, the, the, the character who has always intrigued me, Simon of Cyrene. So I'm going to spend a lot of time thinking about him. I want to get the people here at Calvary Chapel right into the scene and, and, and into Simon's heart. I think that will be uh, a benefit. So wherever you go to church, just go to be a blessing to someone. Ask the Lord to have some divine appointments waiting for you. How can you bless somebody? Maybe there's somebody that's hurting. You don't know anything about it. And the Lord will put him or put her right in front of you. Uh, Be available when you go to church. Don't just go for you, but go to be used by the Lord to be a blessing to someone else. That perspective will change the way you view church. I promise you. One more thing before I get started. I would just like to mention um, a need for prayer. Um, uh, Pastor Skip Heitzig out of Calvary Chapel, Albuquerque. He's been um, one of the Calvary guys from almost the beginning of the tent days. 
Um, Pastor Skip is right now in brain surgery. He uh, was suffering a brain bleed, uh, and it was causing him enormous pain. That's how they found it. And um, it was they, they were going to leave it in, let it go for six weeks or so, and just sort of check up on it. But the pain got intense, and they decided it was a little dangerous to leave it there. Um, uh, Pastor Skip's done a great work in, in Albuquerque. It's a huge, huge, huge church. It's a radio program that's on literally all over the world. Um, and I would appreciate you praying. I'll keep you posted um, when we come back on Monday to how uh, how things are proceeding. Okay, let's get to some questions that um, have been sent in while we await your phone calls. Uh, the first one is an anonymous question. And he or she says, I know the passages that deal with marriage, but what examples can I study in the Bible of people who had good marriages? You know, Anonymous, when you ask this question, I giggle because uh, Paul and I, from time to time, were invited uh, different places to do uh, marriage conferences. And um, one of the ways I always start the conference is marriage has to be hard. You know how I know? It's because you can't find except one, you can't find a good example of a solid biblical marriage in Scripture. Now that seems silly. What about Abraham and Sarah? He tried to give her away twice because he was afraid for his own safety. And then you can go throughout the the Old Testament all, all the way into the New Testament and we're just not given any good examples of, of what we would say is a solid biblical marriage except one, and that's Priscilla and Aquila. Now, why Priscilla and Aquila? Why is their marriage noted as being solid? And I believe with all of my heart, Anonymous, that the answer is because they served together. They had gifts that complemented one another. It actually appears that Priscilla was the better teacher of the two, and she took the lead in teaching. Remember when they heard Apollos preaching, and they thought, wow, this guy can really preach, but there's something missing in his message. So they invited him to their home for dinner and told him about Jesus. He was proclaiming the baptism of John. He was proclaiming the soon arrival of the Christ. And Priscilla took the lead and gave him the opportunity to say, hey, the one that you're preaching about has already been here and here's what's happened. And so, of course, Apollos became a huge figure, a powerful figure in the early church history. So they served together. They worked together. They were tent makers. God brought the Apostle Paul into their sphere of influence. So they were serving together. They were committed together. Amos 3.3 says, How can two walk together unless they agree to do so? And that's why they would have had a solid marriage. It's really the only one. I think about Peter, whose wife is mentioned only in passing. You think about any or all of the other New Testament characters. And there really isn't a reference. Now, I'm sure there were some that really had good marriages, but we just don't have any information. But if you're looking for an example of a good marriage in the Bible, that's the only one I've been able to find. If you can find another one, God bless you. But 
Uh, I've been doing marriage conferences with Paula for a long, long time. And um, there just isn't any. Serve together as partners and your marriage anonymous will be a really solid biblical marriage. And God will use you to bless so many others while you, in the process of being used by the Lord, are being blessed abundantly as well. Good question. Thanks very much for it. Here is a question for Dennis. He says, Pastor Ron, what does it look like for a Christian to keep the Sabbath law? Um, Dennis, we don't have to keep the Sabbath law. The Sabbath law was a law given to Jews, and we don't have to keep it. Now, we can say we get to keep it, but not in the traditional sense, you know, the seventh day being the Sabbath. That simply isn't something that we're obligated to do. To, to, to fulfill the Sabbath, uh, Hebrews tells us, is to rest in Jesus Christ, to rest from self-effort, to rest from striving in our own strength to, to do good things, uh, or even to do things that the law says that we ought to do. Our way, the only way of keeping the Sabbath is to rest in the person of Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross for us. So, Dennis, that's the only thing. Now, uh, I expect that what you wanted me to say was we have to take a day for the Lord. But the Apostle Paul says that all days, not just Sabbaths or festival days, but, but all days are Sabbath rest for us. And we don't get time off. As Christians, we're always His. We're always on a mission. The mission is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with others by the power of the Spirit. And even when we get tired physically, we can serve fruitfully. So it's not a day for the New Testament Christian, Dennis, it's a way of life. Now, I'm aware that that answer offends many, especially those who have a tendency toward legalism. No, you have to keep the Sabbath. God wants you to have a day of rest. Um, God makes sure you get plenty of rest. I'm like 200 years old, and God makes sure I get plenty of rest. But we keep the Sabbath by being with Jesus. It's amazing how many times my answers get around to that one thing, just be with Jesus. That's what it looks like, Dennis. And the Christian who is with Jesus is going to be one that, that, that has light emanating from, from their walk. Somebody who has influence over others. People will be watching him or watching her because they always seem to have so much joy. They always seem to have peace. Why? Because we're resting in Christ. And remember the Sabbath law. Jesus himself said, um, man wasn't made for the Sabbath, but Sabbath for the man. And we're still getting that twisted around. It's a picture of our rest in Christ. And that's all it means. So I hope that answers your question. Charlie asks, Peter says that Jesus went and preached to the people in hell. What does that mean? And what did he have to say to those who rejected him? Um, Charlie, it, it means that he declared, he had a message to declare. Now, it's not preaching like, believe in me and get a second chance. And that's too often how that's misunderstood. It just says that he descended into the lower parts of the earth and he had a victory message. Now, remember, there was a purpose for him 
going into the center of the earth, the abuso in Greek, the abyss in your New Testament. Um, the, the purpose was to set the captives free. Now, the, those who were going to be set free, of course, are those who believed in him. Before the cross, those who believed in him by faith, looking forward. After the cross, those who believed in him after seeing the cross. Now, remember at the time he went down, um, his death and resurrection, uh, his death was brand new, his resurrection hadn't even been accomplished yet, at least from their perspective. But he went down to tell them, I always think, Charlie, think about this, I always think about the ground beginning to shake. We had a 7.7 earthquake in the Caribbean just uh, the other day, and, 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 and I've been in an earthquake that big. Uh, I've been in, I think, three of them in Southern California that were over 7.0. And the ground shakes and it's really, really loud. Can you imagine what it was like when Jesus, with a host of angels, went into the center of the earth to let him go free? Luke chapter 16, we see the picture of of those two compartments in in that place, one called Abraham's bosom or paradise, and the other one just a place of torment. And the people in the place of torment could see the people in Abraham's bosom. And Jesus would go down and he would declare victory and set the captives free. And that's when he took them in his train to heaven. But it also says he preached a message to those who are disobedient, those disobedient spirits. Now, we're not sure whether that means only angelic beings. I don't think it does, but I think the spirit's just a way of saying that the, the people being tormented in, in, in the place of torment. And his message would have simply been, I declare victory over sin and death. And they would know at that moment they missed out. They would know that there's absolutely no hope for them. And so Jesus went to declare victory. Again, he didn't give them the second chance. It wasn't, now see, I'm going to give you 30 seconds to change your mind. They didn't have, it's appointed that a man once to die and then face the judgment, Hebrews 9.27 says. But he went and preached a message of victory. And I'm sure it was God is faithful just as he promised. Here I am. So that's what he had to say to them. And what it meant was those who are in that place of torment, their eternal fate was sealed forever and ever. Imagine what it was like for somebody like Stephen, the first martyr of the church, when he was set free, when he would go into the presence of the Lord. Imagine what it was like for Abraham, who had all the promises, or King David, a man with the heart after God's. Well, they got the message, and the message was, you are free. Free indeed. Free indeed. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Jeremy. Pastor, and I think the Bible ought to be taught in public schools. I realize it's not going to happen, but what do you think? Jeremy, the last, the last person I want teaching the Bible is somebody who isn't saved, somebody who isn't born again uh, and who's teaching it under compulsion. So no, the Bible ought to be taught by Bible teachers. Now that's important. I realize in the 
um, early days in our country and, 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 you know, as late as in my lifetime, um, there was there was plenty of opportunities to hear the Bible from from believing teachers. There was no pressure not to. Um, and, and, you know, we Christians, we like to think that um, boy, just bring the Bible back. But uh, my our youngest son, Paul, is, uh, his name is Terry. Um, he went to Pepperdine, which is a Church of Christ school. And in their freshman year, um, this is in Malibu, California, and in his freshman year, uh, he had a New Testament survey and an Old Testament survey class that was required. And you should have seen or heard some of the things that he was being taught. So no, I don't think the Bible ought to be taught in public schools. Um, I think the Bible ought to be taught in churches. And unfortunately, Jeremy, there's not a lot of people doing really, really stellar jobs of teaching the Bible even in churches. So uh, you're right, it's not going to happen, but uh, I don't think that's what we want to have happen either. Jeremy, hope that helps your question or your answer your question. Let's go to Irene calling from San Antonio on line one. Irene, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Uh, Pastor Ron, hello. Hi, Irene. I'm calling just to, hi, I'm just calling just to ask, uh, let's say, for instance, you're, you're tithing, right? And then um, something comes up, like, you know, somebody in your family or whatever, and uh, you want to help. Uh, is it okay to use that type and, and help in that way? Or no, you use your own other stuff? Yeah, Irene, I, I, two, two things. First, we're not required to tithe. Um, New mm-hmm. Testament Christians have no obligation to tithe. We give with a cheerful heart. We give as the Lord puts it on our heart to give. So we're not under compulsion to give. So certainly if something happens uh, in your family, if an emergency comes up and you need the money uh, for, for that emergency, um, no, God's not going to be upset with you if you take the money that you would normally give to the church and use it for your emergency. Uh, God understands those things. And I, I wish we as Christians would stop feeling like we are compelled to do it. And God is actually watching the amount we're giving. Um, should we give to God? Of course we should. And we who are Christians, remember the tithe means a tenth. And that's Old Testament law. And the Old Testament law condemned. How much more generous should we who are New Testament Christians give uh, when, when, when we've been given grace? We've been given eternal life. We've been given freedom from rules. So, yeah, we should give and we should be among the most generous people. And, yes, churches require money to, 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 function, to function well. But if something comes up, Irene... God is not going to be in the least upset with you if you have to take that money and use it for something else. I think here's the general rule. God wants our best. He wants the first fruits. He wants us to understand that as Christians, everything we have is His. And when we go to the Lord and say, Lord, here's all your money. What do you want me to do with it? Irene, He's going to leave plenty for the things that he knows are going to happen for those emergencies and those things that are going to come. So we're not under obligation. Give freely. Give without guilt or, or, or somebody compelling you to give. 
and enjoy the fact that God loves a cheerful giver and you can be the most cheerful of all. So trust him. Okay. Trust God on this, okay? Thank you. Thank you very much. Okay, Irene. God bless you. appreciate the call. 340-9585. Here is a question from Carolyn. She says, what is the difference between preaching and teaching? And do you think there should be more preaching or more teaching in the church? Um, Carolyn, personally, I don't see a difference. I think preaching um, uh, done properly is teaching. I think we can preach, which would, would, would have the connotation of being an exhorter or an encourager. Um, um, teaching is just sort of the, 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 what the Bible says uh, and how we can apply it in our lives. Um, those are very important elements. And I think every preacher and teacher should do it. Now, in our church culture, Carolyn, um, we have a lot of preaching without teaching and by that I mean we got people telling cute stories or funny stories uh, or or emotional stories but they're not really teaching the Bible and the frustrating thing for me as a pastor and and I don't really consider myself a preacher I don't have the preacher's voice I'm not a um, um, you know there's just nothing special about what I do but teaching is telling people how to do what the Word says for them to do. Tonight in First Peter chapter 2, our study begins with therefore, and it goes back to what he said in chapter 1, and then he says get rid of all malice, get rid of hypocrisy, get rid of deceit, get rid of slander and gossip, those kind of things, and envy. And, um, you know, uh, somebody sitting in a church, hear me, if, if that's all I said, well, they say, okay, but how do I do that? And I think teaching really has its genesis in understanding that the people who hear the message, and this is my prayer all the time, Carolyn, when I'm, I'm, I'm teaching tonight, Sunday I get two wonderful opportunities this weekend to, to, to declare God's word. I want to give the people God loves, the people I love, I want to be able to go home and use tonight what they learned. I don't want to send people home frustrated and say, yeah, but how do I get rid of this temptation? Or how do I overcome sin? You know, you you tell us what to do, but you don't tell us how to do it. I'm big on the how. And I think that's what a teacher does differently. I also love, Carolyn, in in our particular instance, I love being constrained by uh, the Bible itself. It's hard for me to go off on these long tangents or to tell stories uh, because I'm just going verse by verse through the Bible. Uh, we just finished uh, the book of Hebrews on Friday nights a couple of weeks ago, uh, three weeks ago, actually. And um, um, I can say, Lord, we together as a church have read every word of another book. And then when I declare it, when I'm teaching it and explaining how to do those things, then the people in our church, well, they're without excuse. Tonight's message is a perfect one for, as an example for that because it's not so much just the what to do, it's the how to do it. And I think one of the biggest deficiencies I see from 
preachers and or Bible teachers is that they'll have this long list of things that people should do, but they never tell them how. And see, we can't do anything in our own strength. We need the power of God's Spirit. And if we have that power available to us and the know-how how how to sort of turn that power on, well, then there's nothing that we can't do. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, Paul wrote. And I want people to to learn that. So uh, I think there ought to be more teaching in the church. I also think that when you are an effective Bible teacher, not a preacher, but a Bible teacher, you will do a lot of preaching in the message. I hope that makes sense to you, but I think personally that's the difference. We are um, almost like children in our church culture. You know, people want to go and feel good. They want to get goosebumps. Uh, what they need is the Word of God. The Word, the Word, the Word. And when they leave, they shouldn't leave frustrated. They should leave with a sense of freedom. So if you get an opportunity tonight, uh, calvarysa.com, you can watch live stream or maybe even better, join us if you're in the area. And um, you'll get a good example of what teaching the what and the how, which is really important. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in our week. Actually, 30 minutes left for January. This is the word to stand up for life. You can call us at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back on the other side of the break. See you in two minutes. time to call into the word to stand on for life no problem if you've got questions you can email them to pastor ron at pastor ron kslr at gmail.com that's pastor ron kslr at gmail.com Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the program. We have 30 minutes left in January. I'll tell you how out of sync I am. My producer just reminded me that it's Communion Sunday here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. I thought, oh yeah, I forgot. That's how fast time is going. Wow, it's already the first Sunday of a new month. 340-9585. Here is a question from Linda. She says, can you talk about saints? Are they special people who died? And then she says, I was raised Catholic. Linda, saints, you're a saint. If you're a born-again Christian, you're a saint. There's no special category. And this is always so frustrating in me because, uh, especially in San Antonio, because people are raised like you were raised, and there's always this super saint, you know, and they have to do these miracles, and they have to be uh, ratified by the church, and, and suddenly they have sainthood. Uh, even when I uh, open the King James Version Bible, the epistle of St. Paul to the Romans, um, you know, we just got this sense that, that sainthood is something that is far beyond anything that we can accomplish. Linda, you're a saint if you're born again. Read the Apostle Paul's Um, letters and he often 
begins by saying, uh, I, Paul, an apostle called by the will of God, and then he identifies us to the saints who are in Philippi or to the saints who are in Ephesus. The saints, who's he writing to? He's writing to saints. Now, the word saint means to be sanctified or to be set apart. So they're not special people who died. You know, there's no need to be a saint. They're already in heaven. They can't pray for you. They can't help you. Because Jesus is our helper. And we who are saints, I always say when somebody asks me a question like this, Saint Ron, I like the sound of that. But when I get to heaven, I'm going to find out that God separated me for his purpose. He did all the work. And he'll get all the glory for the things that I did. So, no, the the saints conferred by the church, or sainthood conferred by the church, means absolutely nothing. You are a saint, Linda, if you are a born-again believer. And I think if we would understand that, we'd stop striving to do good things. We'd stop this this sense of, I've got to do something to please God. And just enjoy your sainthood. You are born again, washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. You are a saint. For us, I could greet this radio audience by saying, uh, Pastor Ron Arbaugh, to all the saints who are in San Antonio, Texas, or or Universal City, or Shirts, or Cibolo, or, or any of the other places within the sound of my voice. We are all saints, and it is damaging teaching bad teaching to lead people to believe that there are a special class of saints in heaven. They're not. So Linda, I hope that answers your question. I hope it makes you think a little bit more highly of yourself and who you are in Christ. Now, let me say, please don't email me whenever I get a question like that. I get emails. People complain, you don't understand. I, I, I'm just telling you what the Bible says. Doesn't matter what church tradition, doesn't matter how many centuries they've been doing the wrong things. If you're born again, you're a saint, and that makes us pretty special. Nancy says, I have a friend who says she's heard God audibly. I never have. Am I doing something wrong? You know, uh, Nancy, no. And, you know, it isn't impossible that someone could hear God audibly. We know that. Abram, who would become Abraham, did. Abram, Abram, he heard. But that was a very special case. God was calling his first Jew, honoring a heart that was seeking God. I think we, we have too much, Nancy, in the, in the, the, this, the crazy charismatic messes that we, we have in churches sometimes. Uh, people claim, yeah, I heard God audibly. He, he did this. If, if we heard God's voice audibly... I mean, we really heard it audibly. Uh, Nancy, we would be completely undone. Completely undone. If you go to your Bible, every time somebody heard the voice of God, except for Abraham, the reaction was overwhelming. Today we have his word. When Saul of Tarsus heard Jesus say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Well, we know what happened to him. He was blind. He fell down as dead. 
and we just throw it around to you. Oh, God said this. God said that. You're not doing anything wrong. You open your word and God is speaking to you. There still will be times when he'll speak to you, to your heart. You always need to check that against what the word of God says so we don't get confused. That's why John says, brothers, test the spirits. Not every spirit is from God. The devil is always trying to confuse us. But we're not hearing God audibly anymore. Now, let me make this clear, Nancy. There are some times, um, I always try to guess at how many times, and I have no idea, but but there have been um, maybe a couple of dozen times. I'm, I'm actually starting tomorrow. It'll be 29 years. Uh, February is my, my born-again birth date. Um, I've been walking with the Lord, and there are some times, not many but sometimes that God has spoken to me so profoundly that I knew I'd been in the presence of God. I knew exactly what he spoke to my heart. The first time I ever heard San Antonio, Texas come up in a conversation with God, I was on a mountain at Bible college. It was a cool morning sun was out bright, but the snow was melting. And I just want to take a walk with the Lord. And and um, again, I didn't hear it audibly, but it was as profound as if he yelled it at me. He said, I want you to begin praying for the people of San Antonio, Texas. It was so profound, Nancy, that I wrote it in my Bible, March 4th, 1994. And I wrote what God told me to do. That was my calling. when he called me to be a pastor earlier than that. It was as though he was sitting in the car with me. I heard it on a car radio. I was listening to Raul Reese, my friend now, but but Raul Reese was teaching the Bible, was teaching First Timothy. He was talking about a pastor. It was like Jesus was in the car. We were in bumper-to-bumper traffic on the 57 freeway. I remember it like it was yesterday. And the Lord spoke to my heart. He said, listen carefully. This is what I've called you to do. Now, if it was audible, my car would have exploded, but it was as though it was. So there are some people who feel like they've heard God so clearly that it was as though it were audible. And sometimes our imagination takes over and it becomes audible. But but we don't hear from the Lord that way. So, uh, Nancy... Um, you're not doing anything wrong. You stick with your Bible and let the Lord speak to your heart. Good question. Here is a question from Anthony. He says, I just read an editorial about removing churches' tax exemptions. What do you think about this and what effect would it have on churches? Um, Anthony, I I read that as well. Um, um, It's shocking that our nation has gotten to the point where um, this has become an issue. It, it just shows you how far we're, we're deteriorating. Um, but I think this is in our future. Um, churches do not pay property tax. And we've got some huge, huge churches in some pristine locations where the property tax income would be a lot for the local community and for uh, for, for state property taxes as well. And by removing the 
tax exemption status from a church, uh, the effect would be enormous. The effect would be absolutely enormous. And and their argument is, well, you know, they're not paying their fair taxes for schools or or paying their fair taxes for improvements and, and the, the non-believers have to pay. And from their perspective, that's discrimination. But here's what they don't understand. The churches contribute, and I'm talking generally here, but churches contribute, uh, the contribution is is enormous, not only to the economy, but to the community. And then let me just give you this this thought, and I'll just use our church. And we're certainly not one of those big churches that are taking up, um, you know, um, um, maximum value property space. Um, but we have a free school, a quality education that parents couldn't afford, many parents couldn't afford, and we're allowing their children to come here for free. That's serving community. We have a, a free medical clinic, doctor's office, family practice, doctor's office. Tomorrow, I think Paula's going to tell me, she told me today, but I can't remember. But uh, I, this week coming up, I think, is our seventh birthday for Malta Medical. Seven years. And we've seen in excess of 30,000 patients, people who came and got medical care, who couldn't afford to go pay for it on their own. And we, we don't take insurance. We don't do anything. Uh, that's a valuable gift to this community. I and mean, that's just just a couple of the things that we do of the many. So uh, those things could could actually go away. That might be one of the primary effects of removing our, our tax exemption. Um, we, we wouldn't have money to do other things that would serve the community. Uh, but believe me, churches... Uh, the name of Jesus Christ is responsible for more uh, philanthropy, uh, for more uh, community participation uh, than than anything or anyone else. And it is possible, Anthony, that that would go away. Um, I personally believe that we're going to see that. We're already seeing um, cities um, reject um, church applications for zoning. Uh, because they know they're not going to get any tax income from it. And uh, I think we're um, we're going to see the tax exemption eventually removed. Hard, but I think that's the way it is. Let's take a phone call. I've got Jimmy on the line, line one. Jimmy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi. Isn't that, isn't that prophesied in the Bible that they're going to become greedy and people are going to become greedy and selfish and lovers of themselves? Sure is. Second Timothy chapter three. Yeah. You know what? They don't. They don't. They don't understand that they're going to face God. We're all going to face God one day. You know, I, I don't feel worthy to face God. But <laughs> I know because Jesus, I am worthy. But yeah. they're going to. They don't understand that they're going to face God one day. They're going to have to answer to that. You know, Jimmy, I think that the biggest problem in our world today is there is no fear of God. Exactly. And it is, it's, it's a holy tear. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess. And for some of us, it's going to be the greatest moment ever. For others among us, it's going to be the most terrifying moment uh, for eternity uh, when they stand before that, that blazing holiness 
and they, they're, they're without excuse. They, they, there's no defense for the things that they've done, uh, and they will be condemned to an eternity in torment. I look forward to that day. I look forward to meeting standing before God and, and Jesus, and and because uh, I look forward to him. Well, Jimmy, hopefully he'll come before February first. Why? It was February 1st. Oh, that's tomorrow. That's that's tomorrow. Oh, yeah. Anyway, I just remain focused on Jesus Christ. Good for you. Got a question, Jimmy? That's good. No, that's good, sir. I just heard that. I I couldn't believe that's going to happen. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, Jimmy. God bless you. Bye-bye. 340-9585. Here's a question from Tom. And Tom, I'm not laughing at you. I'm laughing with you. Your first sentence. It says, stepping out in faith is hard. Wow, is that an understatement? And then he asked this. How do you know you're right? And would you talk about some of your steps of faith? Um, yeah, Tom, I like to keep uh, my personal stuff out of this program. I'll, I'll do a, a few things. I, I just mentioned a couple of them. Um, stepping out in faith is supposed to be hard. I think we need to sort of reorient our our thinking. Um, you know, I think we, we were sold sort of a bill of goods that says, you know, if you're in God's will, you'll step out in faith. He's going to reward you and everything will be easy and nothing could be farther from the truth. Believe me, in the middle of God's will is is where the most intense spiritual warfare will be. Uh, it's where you will be tested every step of the way. And so stepping out of faith is supposed to be hard. The only thing harder, Tom, is not walking out, stepping out in faith. That's harder because then you're on your own. Hebrews eleven six says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And when you're not pleasing to the Lord, uh, you're, you're going to mess up. When you're pleasing to him, he's always with you and he's promised to protect you. So it's supposed to be hard. So maybe rethink your premise. With regard to how do you know you're right, um, let me, I hope this will relieve a whole bunch of pressure from you, Tom. You don't have to be right. You just have to make sure your heart is right with God. I have made some doozies in terms of mistakes. Uh, I mean, some things that were so big, one in particular that I'm thinking of right now, that that could have um, ruined the church. And we wouldn't have been here today. But my heart was right with God. I wasn't doing it for me. I wasn't being arrogant. I wasn't being prideful. I really believed. I was wrong, but I really believed it was from the Lord. And I got right to the edge of doing it. And Jesus stopped me cold. He wasn't angry. He was there in his role as protector, as my big brother. And we just backtracked out of that together so quickly, and and, and it really saved the future of our church. So, yeah, it's hard. And, And we, especially men, Tom, we think we have to be right people are depending on us. You know, as a husband, Paul is told to submit to my leadership. If I mess up, I'm going to hurt her. And as a pastor, I've got all these people that, that if I mess up, you know, they're the ones who are going to get hurt. But God loves them way more than I do. 
And if my heart is right with God, now if my heart's wrong, then I deal with consequences. But if my heart's right with God, then he's always going to protect me. And he'll do the same for you. And that one thing ought to remove all the pressure of feeling we have to be right. Some of my steps of faith, you know, this work is is rather unique. Uh, We do everything here for free. We don't charge for things. And um, um, the free school, everybody said, was crazy. This is our 20th year. Uh, Malta Medical. Um, What church has a fully functioning family practice doctor's office? We do. And nobody ever pays a penny. Um, we have, we have a, a home for women in transition, either transitioning from trouble in their lives or maybe um, needing protection from abusive men. And we don't charge for that. Somebody gave us a house. And so those are steps of faith, but you know, Tom, the little steps of faith are just as important. Right now, we're on the verge of another step of faith, and, and I just know it's going to be soon. I don't know when. I've been saying this for almost a year now. But but God wants us to, have, to, to open a free restaurant. A restaurant like you go sit down and get good service and get good food. Have godly people around. But without the bill, without the check. And restaurants that charge people money go broke all the time. And yet I know we're going to do that. We've got all the people. God's brought them around. So he's assembled the team together. It's just now a matter of him saying go and giving us the ability to do it. Those are hard things. But remember, they're supposed to be hard. And when they're hard, God is really, really pleased, most of all, when we do something that's difficult for no reason other than we trust him. God, you said to do it. I'm going to do it. Good question. Let's take Ray from San Antonio on line one. Ray, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Well, you're welcome. Um, this is not a question, but as you just put in the uh, thing about the restaurant, I'm as eager to attend that as I am to get your book. But anyway, <laughs> I wonder if the you only had to mention that, I right? have is, is possibly I may be the first one to be able to say, and this is it's, uh, in, in, in line with Paula the Encourager, <laughs> that uh, Pastor St. Ron. <laughs> and and I say that because you mentioned that, oh, I like the sound of that. So there, there you have it. <laughs> That's about it. Love you. Thank you, Ray. I love you, too. Thanks, Ray. You know, I, I say I like the sound of that because there, there, there aren't many times when I'm feeling very saintly. But you see, that's the beauty of it. I don't have to do something to be saintly or feel saintly. I'm saintly because that's the position that Christ has given us. It's an amazing thing. I, I, I often think about the thief on the cross. We're, we're getting close to that in our our uh, study in Luke on Sundays, um, when Jesus says to him, today you will be with me in paradise. And and all he had to do was come to the realization that 
he was deserving of the punishment that he was getting. He was a sinner. And, um, you know, the good news is that he, um, he didn't have to do anything. His sainthood was conferred upon him. Let's go. Last call today, Reuben from Seguin. Reuben, thanks for calling. You're on the air. God bless you, Pastor Ron. And again, like always, thank you for taking my phone calls. How are you doing today? Thanks. I'm doing really well, thanks. That's great. That's great. I have a, a difficult question to you. Um, I may not be able to explain it all, but maybe I could get an email that I could send to you and send it. Okay. And then well, we've got three minutes, so I'll do what I can here, and if okay. not, I can answer by email, Ruben. There, okay, there's two situations, which I know I'm not going to be able to talk to, but there's something that I did uh, that was very, 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 very terrible about 37 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking about when I was 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, maybe. Mm-hmm. And um, the past two years, it came back up. It reared his head, and I thought that I had made uh, amends for what I did, but apparently I didn't. And uh, the person that I hurt really, really, really hates me and has begun to write things about me on Facebook that I had to get off of Facebook because she was writing these whole things about me. And I I don't know how to deal with it because I've already asked this person to forgive me. And I was under the impression that we were, we were forgiven, that I was forgiven. Yeah. And Ruben, let me, let me, let me, let me answer this. If, if you need more, you can deal with me uh, via email. But um, understand this, that, that, that we never have any guarantees that people will forgive us. I've hurt people in my life before Christ, desperately so. I've done horrible, horrible things. Um, but none of those things will ever come up and be against me. God has forgiven me. He's thrown that thing that you did, Reuben, into the deepest, darkest ocean. And while the human may not forgive you, your, your source of peace is knowing that you asked for forgiveness, you admitted that you did wrong, and Jesus said, I have forgiven you. And he's thrown that terrible thing in that deep, dark sea, and it will never again be brought up. Now, again, the human may not forgive you, but you know what I do, Reuben, when I'm in that situation and somebody says, well, you did this to me, you were in my life. All I can say is, you know, I deserve that. But God has forgiven me. I pray that you will forgive me someday. In the meantime, I can give you the answer so you can be set free from your lack of forgiveness and your hatred toward me. But if, if... you want to hear about Jesus, I'll be happy to tell you. So don't worry what man says, Reuben. The only thing that matters okay. is that God has okay. declared what? you innocent of all charges, okay? What? Thanks, Reuben. Email me further rest. We're at the end of a week. We're at the end of a month. May the Lord bless you in February of 2020. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. This is The Word to Stand Up For Life. Lord willing, I'll be back Monday at 4 o'clock on AM 630, The Word. See you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On For Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On For Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4 
And Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at CalvarySA.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Amen.